If you're a visitor with us this morning, want to apologize in advance. Today is going to be a little different than normal. And uh, I'm not going to say that anymore because I no longer know what normal is. And, uh, but that this morning I received an email from uh, some government official who has a server in their house with a lot of access to information. And uh, sent me an email and said, I have information on everybody from your church. I know everything that they've done this last week. I know all of their email, their text messages, and so forth. So what I thought we would do this morning is on the screen here, is we're just going to start scrolling through. There's one for everybody here, so don't worry. Nobody's going to get left out this morning. Uh, government knows everything that's going on in your life. And we're just going to take a look this morning at what you've been thinking about and what you've been doing over the last couple of weeks. So can we roll the first one up there? I think the first one is Dan Elbers. Must have technical difficulties. It doesn't seem to be working. I, I think you're probably in agreement with me this morning that your heart would be racing a little bit. And you might actually be heading for the doors if you knew that I had that capability and we were going to put that on the screen this morning. If we were to take an x-ray per se of what's going on in our minds and our hearts and our whole lives available for everyone to see. These next four weeks, we're going to be doing what I would consider as an x-ray. We're actually literally going to be looking at what's in our hearts and what's in our minds. These next four weeks, we're simply looking at questions that you asked, that you asked and our kids asked. And we're going to talk about what does God's Word give us direction in answering those questions. So really we are taking an x-ray because we're looking at stuff that's going on in all of our lives. And it's not easy stuff. These questions that are submitted... It's not, hey, did dinosaurs ever exist? Which is a difficult question, but at the end of the day, it's scientific, academic. I can work through that question pretty easily. We're dealing with heavy personal stuff. This week has been a really weird week for me personally, and uh, I don't know why. Maybe God's been trying to do something for this Sunday or what's going on, but obviously last week was, was Easter. Easter is the biggest week in the church, church world. Uh, a basketball coach lives for the final four. A pastor lives for Easter. I mean, that's why you're a pastor is because of Easter. Holy Week is, that's what it's all about. I mean, it's all week. It's what you live for. It's what you do. It's what you prepare for. So last week was like, that's it. That's why I do what I do. I'm excited. This is why we do. We went through last week. I thought, oh, we've got a Monday, Thursday, a Good Friday. We've got good opportunities to worship. I thought Easter, Sunday, this is fabulous. We've got uh, some great songs. I've been studying the Word of God. Got the message that I feel He wants me to prepare. Da da da. And just came Sunday night and thinking, that was a mess. We didn't have very many at Good Friday. I was expecting a big crowd. Easter Sunday, I get a text message from our worship leader on Sunday night that just says, "Hey, that was a little bit different this this morning." And that was about it. Thinking, it's not good when your worship leader said that was a little bit different or it wasn't it wasn't good. Anyhow, about a year ago. I told our leadership team at the church, I had said by June 1st of next year, we have to be at 200 people every Sunday. I told them that. I said, if we don't get there by our fifth year, 93% of churches that aren't 200 before they turn five never become 200. That's just fact. So I told our leadership team that, and I had told myself, I kind of had a little conversation with God, you know how those negotiations go, I said, God, we don't have 200 by fifth Sunday of Easter. By Easter Sunday, our fifth time, if we don't have 200, something's wrong, something's going on. God, we have to have 200. 
Well, last Sunday, fifth Easter comes and goes. We don't have 200. My thought process, again, with God had been, hey, if we can't get 200 on the fifth Easter. So anyhow, Monday morning comes around. That's my mindset on Monday morning. I'm going, here we go. What do you want, God? So you get up Monday morning, and what do you do as a dairy farmer on Monday morning? You go to work, right? It doesn't matter if they didn't produce milk the day before. Or you go to work. Monday morning, what do I do? You go to work. Came to work on Monday morning. First email I have from one of our staff members on Monday morning. Hey, we had somebody at church yesterday that left, that didn't even stay for the service, left because they said we were unkind to them and felt unwelcome. On Easter Sunday, these are all facts you can check with people besides me, the first email I get. So I already came thinking, we, God, we had this deal. You haven't kept your end of the bargain. Now, this happens. Next email I get was from Doyle, our family ministry coordinator. I'd asked him to send the questions that he had compiled with our kids. So on Wednesday nights, he had asked the kids to submit some questions. I get the questions that Doyle had compiled. First question from the elementary age kids. Will I ever see my dad? This isn't a question from the internet. This isn't a question from the newspaper or magazine. This is a question from elementary age kids that are in our building on Wednesday nights. I had come into work on Monday expecting to focus really on two questions for the week ahead. The first question that I knew we were going to answer this week was, how can I feel the Father's love when I didn't have loving parents? I was already starting to think through that, work on that. That's not, I mean, there's no dictionary answer to that. Second question that I was working on, or second two questions that I was working on were, how can our hearts hear from God when we pray? And how do I know that I hear God's voice? Again, there's no easy answer. So then I was doing this, I was just going to get the third question, which was from our kids. And that question is, will I ever see my dad again? So I'm sitting down at my computer just thinking through and say, God, give me some insight. That's how I operate. I'm not extremely spiritual. God, I'm going to start to type. Just tell me what to, you know, here we go. I start working, write down some general thoughts from the questions first thought I write down, because I got all this stuff on my mind, is very simply I write down, I will trust you with 1,000 when I can trust you with one. I just wrote that down, went went through the rest of the day. I didn't think about that. I just written in my notes. I do that every time when I'm preparing, just write a bunch of stuff down. Tuesday, I meet with a really good friend that I meet with all the time. Uh, We talk about life. We're talking about general stuff. Talked about the week before, a couple of those things. Again, this statement isn't on my mind at all. I basically forgot that I had written it down. We're talking. Now, my friend that I'm with is a little more charismatic than I am. What I mean by that is he, he prays in tongues. He believes in the gift of prophecy. I believe in those things, but it's not a regular discipline in my spiritual life. A lot of times he'll say a word to me, an encouraging word or something. We're getting ready to depart. He looks at me and he says, Richard, I will trust you with 1,000 when I can trust you with one. I had not said anything to him. I hadn't even remembered or thought about it. He just says, Richard, I will trust you with 1,000 when I can trust you with one. Now, as a pastor, the word that you want to hear from God is, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, you want to hear, hey, you nailed it with that sermon on Sunday morning. You... You don't want to get a message from God that basically says, hey, 
I can't trust you with one person, so I'm not going to give you any more people. So, so I'm here sitting here thinking, okay, we've, under my leadership, under my authority in a, in a sense, we've got a kid that's sitting here on Wednesday nights that doesn't know if they're ever going to see their dad again. I don't know what we're doing for that kid. We've got someone that shows up at our church and leaves before I even get a chance to utter a word and says, yeesh, you're unkind. Thinking, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing with that message or what that is, but I, st- I still I don't totally know what to do with, with the sentence. Anyhow, I've got all that going on. While I'm working on this message, how do you hear from God? I've never had a conversation with God. I've never been praying and heard a voice. I've never had a back and forth with God. It just hasn't happened. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It just hasn't happened for me. I've heard from God multiple times. I've opened up the Bible, looked at a verse, and boom, God spoke right there. I've never had a conversation with God. Anyhow, what do we do with all this stuff? Part of it's church, but also a lot of it is very personal, not just for me, but also for you here in this room. Because for all of us in this room, these questions that we're looking at, they resemble your heart in some way, one, one way or another, of what's going on. So these next four weeks, as we deal with questions like this, this has to be said on the front end. The Bible's not like a dictionary where I can say, hey, this question, God, show me where to go. It doesn't work that way. And sometimes questions are asked where I look in the Bible, and the Bible doesn't say anything about it. So these next four weeks, as we talk about these things, I'm going to be talking about personal experience. And remember, my personal experience is not authoritative. Just because it happened to me doesn't mean it's going to be happening for everyone. Or your personal experience isn't authoritative either. If something happens to you, that doesn't make it right for everyone else. If you have a feeling that you think is right for you, that doesn't necessarily make that feeling right for everyone else. Our experience is not the final authority in our lives. The final authority in our lives is God's Word that comes outside of us. Our experiences are testimonies or or living flesh of how those words take shape. I really want to emphasize that. I never want to elevate my personal experience. I always try and share very personally so you know kind of how it's fleshing out in my life. But that my experience is not the standard. The standard is God's Word. So this morning, we've got to start at God's Word and then go back to the questions. So if you have your Bible, open up to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, Jesus is talking to his followers and some religious leaders. It's a very uh, popular passage. John chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. John 10, verse 11. John 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. 
For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you that you have recorded these words of Jesus for us. We ask that you now take them, give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus uses a very familiar phrase to describe himself. He's basically trying to help the crowd, help religious leaders, help his followers have a better understanding of who he is. And in that culture, a shepherd is very common. Now, a shepherd in that culture is different than the picture that sometimes comes to mind for us. There's that famous picture where you've got a shepherd holding a small little lamb and everything looks perfect. I mean, the shepherd looks gentle, the lamb is perfect. That's not a shepherd in the Middle East when Jesus was around. A shepherd would have been rough. A shepherd would have been tough. A shepherd would have had a little streak of mean going on because a shepherd had to protect the flock. A shepherd didn't have fence to protect the flock. So a shepherd had a bunch of sheep, let's say. Let's say a shepherd had 25 sheep. He would take those 25 sheep out on a hillside. Now, he didn't have fence or that he'd put up around him, so he'd find maybe some rocks over here and maybe a tree line over there and then maybe a, a ridge over there or a big ledge. So he kind of used natural boundaries to kind of keep his sheep in one place. Well, using natural boundaries like that mean what? Something's going to get in and something's going to get out. And so a shepherd was constantly dealing with what? Wolves or other animals sneaking in, especially during night, and what? Stealing lambs, stealing sheep. Or lambs, hey, freedom, just taking off to anywhere and everywhere. So the shepherd's got to go what? Go get the lambs back. That's why you got a shepherd's staff and it's got a little hook on the other end. I've been thinking about getting one of those on Sunday morning. You can reach out there and kind of pull in a little bit. But that shepherd's staff was like a hook. You'd go out and you'd bring them back. So a shepherd really was not just a gentle, caring person. A shepherd was, was a man who was tough, a man who could handle things on his own. So when you said, when someone would hear, hey, I'm, I'm like a shepherd, they would have heard tough, rugged individual. Now, Jesus throws a little bit of a hitch in. He says, a good shepherd. That's not like a hired hand. Then he goes on to explain, hey, I'm like the good shepherd, and the reason that I'm a good shepherd is that when trouble comes, guess what I do? I stay around. Where a hired hand does what? Whoa, this ain't worth a day's wages. I'm leaving. Jesus says what? He voluntarily, this is so important to realize, verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. Jesus is saying he voluntarily is willing to step in where there's trouble. That's vastly different than a hired hand that's like, eh, I'll pay the difference on losing one of them to the the wolves or one that's wandered off. Jesus says, no, I'm different. I go after them and I'm willing to step in. This is a description of who he is. So Jesus is basically saying to us this morning, to his other religious people in this setting, saying, hey, I'm tough. I control things. I have power. But at the exact same time, guess what? 
I'm all loving. I'm like no one you've ever met because I voluntarily lay down my life for someone else. Now, this is who Jesus says he is. Now notice what Jesus says he wants or the description that he gives for the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. Look with me in John chapter 10 here, verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, I know my people and my people know me. Okay, well, knowing someone, there can be a varying degree of what it means to know someone. Look what he does next. Verse 15, he says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. In other words, Jesus says this, the relationship that I have with my people should be just as intimate as what? The relationship I have with my Father. Now, for a moment, we got to go into an area that's completely unexplainable, the Trinity, that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three beings. Jesus is saying the relationship that He has with His Father, which is basically this. They are of one mind and one substance, but two different beings. This doesn't work out scientifically, so if you're trying to figure it out on paper right now, it doesn't work. They are in such close relationship with one another that they constantly know what each other's doing, and they do each of their things with the other person's authority. So Jesus acts on the authority of his Father. The Father acts through His Son to bring glory to His Son and then ultimately to Himself. In other words, they are just in perfect tandem together. And Jesus says, hey, my relationship with my followers should be like that relationship. In other words, God desires intimacy with His people. Jesus is very straightforward saying here, hey, my job is not just to get a bunch of people, hey, come to heaven, put them in heaven and be like, whew, they're saved, no trouble. No, no, vastly different picture we get here. Jesus is saying, I'm getting people to come follow me and live in relationship with me. That the Christian life is not safe from hell, but the Christian life is intimate relationship with the Creator. This is what God wants. And when we understand God's Word, this is what God's Word wants for us, an intimate relationship, now that starts to help us flush out these questions a little bit. John Piper says it this way, there is no deeper nor more satisfying relationship in the world than the eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son. So that, that relationship that is the deepest in all of creation, all of eternity, all satisfying relationship, guess what Jesus is saying? We should have that relationship with Him. I don't say that. Jesus says that. He says that just as the Father and I know one another. So if God desires intimacy with us like this, guess what? He's got to want to communicate with us then. How can you have that level of intimacy without communication? How can you have that level of intimacy with distrust? So what do we do with these three questions? We start with, will I ever see my dad again? The, the straightforward answer to this question is probably not. You probably won't see your dad again. Or you may not even want to see your dad again. But what are the implications for you and I today to this question? Can you imagine for a moment 
And some of you maybe don't have to imagine because this might be your history. Can you imagine being a young child? Every time you need something, the person who's supposed to deliver it doesn't deliver it. Do you know what type of mindset that builds? Distrust. Just factual distrust. So what am I going to do with anyone else that I'm supposed to expect something from in life? I'm going to start from a position of distrust. Because the ones who were supposed to do it haven't done it. And that's not just going to project onto relationships. Guess where that's going to project next? Onto God. If the one who's a person of authority and love in my life can't be loving and extend authority and provision, guess what? How can there be a loving God? How can there be a loving Father in heaven if that loving Father in heaven's unwilling to give me a loving Father here now? I mean, that's a complete conundrum. So what do you and I do? Well, you and I have a responsibility here. We have a responsibility to step in. To step in and to be a reflection of love and authority at the exact same time. The passage that we read earlier from Exodus chapter 34, God describes himself as ever-loving, but at the same time, God is holy and he's bringing authority in that passage. This young child who asked this question, guess what they don't have in their life? A healthy picture of authority and love together. And whenever you don't have a healthy picture of authority and love together, your picture of God moving forward is very distorted. You fall into one, two camps. A, you fall into this camp of all loving, no authority, just anything goes. Whatever. Or you fall into this camp over here that God is angry, doesn't want anything to do with me. Because guess what? The anger that I've seen as a kid, that this young child has probably seen as this, the anger leads to automatic removal right? Go go to your room right now and leave me alone. And then there's no follow-up. That's vastly different than saying, go to your room, think about this, and then three or seven minutes later, going back and saying, I love you. There's a major difference. And if you never have that picture, it's going to be portrayed onto the rest of the relationships in your life. Our responsibility is this. We can't be the dad. But we can step in and be a proper reflection of the Heavenly Father's love. Do you know the number one problem in our country today? The number one problem in our country, and I'll argue with anyone on this, up and down, the number one problem in our country is not abortion laws. The number one problem in our country is not gun laws. The number one problem in our country is not low wages. The number one problem in our country is parents, is dads. You could lower the crime rate in Chicago next year by 75% at least if there was a dad in the picture. You could cut the abortion rate in half, if not 80%, if there was a dad in the picture. Everything starts in the home. And when it can't happen in the home, it needs to happen simultaneously in the church. And when it doesn't happen, guess what happens? Just look outside. It crumbles. 
this guy, I don't know who this kid is. So we have a responsibility to portray to this young child the everlasting love of his creator or her creator. Will I ever see my dad again? No, but you're going to see the love of your eternal father and we're going to help you work through the best that we can of what God looks like and who God is. Second question is highly related to this one right here. How can I feel the father's love when I didn't have loving parents? Exact same situation. Exact same situation. So I want to talk specifically, what do I do then if this is me? Because this is probably multiple of us here in this room. First thing is this. Find some passages in the Bible that describe God not as a father. Now, don't take me extreme on this. But there's passages in the Bible that, where it describes God as someone besides a father. So if you haven't had a good father, until you're in a position of health, go to these other passages and meditate upon them. And then go to the passages about God as a father. What most people do is this, and it's happening all around us. Remove the language of father completely from the Bible. It's happening all around us from all of your hymns, all of your songs. Don't use the word father. Why? Because it gives a bad image of God. Well, the Bible clearly says that God is like a father. There's no way around it. But if we're not in a healthy spot, it's okay to say, God, I can't understand that right now. And say, God, I need a different picture to help me get to a place where I can understand it. So meditate upon some other scriptures. The second step we need to take is this. Find a healthy person that you can be vulnerable with so you can experience a healthy relationship. Most of us, I would say, even maybe a majority here, have not experienced a healthy relationship in life where we're vulnerable with other people and the response we get back from that is, is healthy and encouraging and correcting all together. And until you have healthy relationship like that, it's really hard then to experience healthy relationship with God because I haven't felt it in something that's really tangible that I'm engaged with right now. Because let's admit it, our relationship with God is somewhat mysterious. Can't see it, can't touch it. So it's so important to have these examples of what we can experience now that we can project into that scenario. So here's what I encourage you to do. Those who have been in unhealthy relationships always do this. Myself included in different situations, go to more unhealthy relationships. It's just the way it works. So what you need to do is this. You need to find a small group of people. You need to start spending time with that small group of people. And when you see proof that they're safe and healthy, then what? Be vulnerable. And here's proof that a people group is safe and healthy. Something hard gets said and it doesn't shut down the group and change the dynamics of the group. So someone in the group says, I fell back into an old way last night, and I drank more than I was supposed to. Someone says that in the group, and it's a healthy group when that group doesn't go, oh, whoa, whoa, everybody, hey, what's everybody doing tomorrow night? So find a healthy group that when hard stuff gets shared, the dynamics of the group stay the same. It doesn't mean there's answers, but the dynamics of the group are, that's hard. Let's, let's pray about that right now and, 
and next Saturday night, call us and come and have supper with our family. If you're about to fall into something, just come have supper with our family. Find a healthy place and then be vulnerable in that situation. Finally, on this question, the Bible obviously says, we just saw it in John 10, that God wants to be in an intimate relationship with us. This is God's design, God's desire. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to feel like it. And this is really hard. But just because it doesn't feel like it doesn't mean I can't experience it and live it. This side of the grave, the feelings might be really hard. But we have to trust in the written promises of Scripture that He's still there. Our final question or questions are extremely complicated and you could get very academic. I want to try and simplify it down. If God wants to be intimate with us, how do we hear from God? The central question here is this. Does God communicate outside of the Bible? Okay, and there's bundles of different uh, thoughts on this and teachings on this. I have friends who believe one thing and other friends who believe another thing, and I think both are faithful followers of Jesus, and I'm fine with it. So, for example, I believe in the gift of prophecy, that there's people that have a prophetic gift that will say a word from God, something like, you are supposed to be an entrepreneur. Prophecy is not prediction. Prophecy is encouragement or exhortation. So I believe that God speaks through that today. I also believe in the gift of tongues, that you can pray in, you can pray in the gift in, the, in tongues. It's not a regular spiritual discipline of mine, but I believe God operates that way. So I do believe God speaks outside of the Bible in those ways, and I could lead you through multiple passages to, to work there. However, my experience has been this. I have not experienced God speaking outside of Scripture, outside of those venues. So I have not experienced God saying something to me in my heart or my mind, so I can't speak to that question. But my experience is not authoritative. There have been other people in the Bible who clearly spoke with God. I mean, they're walking, and they're like, hey, God, uh, I'll do this if you do that. And they're, but it's recorded in the Bible. Now, I'm one who believes that after God wrote the Scriptures, that the canon was closed, that those moments ended. But there's faithful Christians who believe differently that God is still speaking. So here's what I encourage you to do. Two things, and I've shared this before, but it's so important. The first is this. Is what you heard line up with Scripture? So, for example, this last week, my friend says to me, I will trust you with a thousand when I can trust you with one. Is that God speaking to me? The first thing I do is I do this. Does it match Scripture? Well, Scripture does say, Jesus uses multiple stories to say this point, that you'll be a steward of a lot when you can steward a little. He doesn't say that line specifically, but that principle is there. So what I heard, that guy spoke to me, does line up with Scripture. The second thing is, I've got to share it with other Christians who are followers of Christ and say, hey, do you believe this is in with the spirit of what God would say? Do you believe that this brings about the fruit of the Spirit? God's not going to say something that doesn't bring about the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the other one right here. This is the biggest catcher of all. What you heard, is it simple, logical, and comfortable? Then it's not from God. And I'm 100% confident on this. Because guess what? 
I can't find a single, simple, logical, comfortable statement of God interacting with anyone else. So you would be the first. So if you heard a word from God, you think it's from God, if it's simple, logical, and comfortable, I would contend you are not hearing from God. You're hearing from your own mind. But if it lines up with Scripture, if other followers of Christ affirm it, then guess what? God may be speaking to you. Then what? You better act on it. Because when God speaks, we better act. Because He is the owner. So now, for me personally, I've got a decision to make. I haven't made it yet, and I don't know how to make it exactly. If that was God that said that, obviously i got to do something. So if God speaks to you, check Scripture, share it with others, and then act on it. Tim Chalice, who's done a variety of writing on this issue of hearing from God and who's studied people from every spectrum, Baptist, Lutheran, Reformed, Charismatic, all over, Catholic, everybody, says the following. He says, The sufficiency of the Bible means that we can be supremely satisfied in the voice of God as it comes through the Word of God. We don't need to yearn for anything else. The Bible is sufficient to live a life that honors God, but also a life that is deeply intimate with God. If you haven't heard from God on a personal level outside of the Bible this morning, I don't want you to leave going, I'm a horrible Christian. Not at all. Because guess what? Everything you need to honor God and to be in intimate relationship with God is right here. It's right here. And you can hear it every day this next week. I hear it every day. Every day I hear from God at some point. You open up your Bible and you pray and you see what the Spirit said, how the Spirit plants it on your heart or your mind. It's, there's just not a good formula to help answer this question. Some of you want more. I'm sorry, I can't give a lot more. We've all got issues. We've all got challenges. Those issues and those challenges oftentimes affect our relationship with God. But God wants to be known from how He's portrayed in the Bible. Not how our earthly father has treated us, or our boss, or our spouse. But God has made Himself known in the Bible as one who is ever-loving, ever-merciful, slow to anger, pure, holy, and just, all at the exact same time. I personally have not met my earthly biological father. But I have a different miracle in my personal life. I had a different father come into my life at the age four, and I had a grandfather who portrayed the image of God. Therefore, thanks to God working through whatever circumstances brought that about for me, my story ends really, really well. But there is a lot who don't have the same ending that I have, but had a very, very similar beginning. The question is, are we going to step in and do something so the ending can be different? Not for a thousand, but one.
And what if we stepped in for one to give a biblical portrait of a loving Heavenly Father? Then maybe that one could experience the good, good Father and experience the abundant life that Jesus Christ has promised. This morning, my hope for you today is this, that you can cry out with your heart and say, God, you are a good, good Father. Not because of what I've seen here on earth, not because of what I've experienced, but because of what it says in your word and ultimately because of what you did with your son Jesus on the cross. Let me tell you, God is a good, good Father. He has done everything for you and has given you everlasting life. So today I invite you to have an intimate relationship with that good, good Father because of what He's done and hear from Him. I invite you to stand right now as we prepare our hearts to sing. And I want to spend a moment and pray for us. As we prepare to sing our next song, I want to invite you this morning, you, just, you do what's comfortable for you. All of us are in a different, different place. I want to invite you this morning just to hold out your hands like this as, a, as more of a picture of vulnerability and asking that God would heal anything in your heart, heal anything in your mind that, that's made it difficult to receive love from God, that's made it difficult to be in relationship with God. So I just invite you, if you're comfortable, hold out your hands or bow your, bow, hold your hands, whatever feels comfortable for you. And I'm going to pray, but you can repeat after me or you can pray in your spirit this morning. Good, good Father. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for voluntarily dying on my behalf. Heal my heart of any earthly wounds. Enable me to enjoy life as your child. I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.